Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. How to Raise Money podcast. Hi, I'm Ray McLennan. And I'm Nigel Best. And we are here to give you six of the most frequently asked questions. Now, there's loads of these, but this will be the first six. So frequently asked questions on how to raise money. Um, They're in no particular order. I'm not saying these come up because, you know, okay, they're frequently asked, but this isn't the most popular one first and least popular last, that sort of thing. They're just in no particular order. Six of the most frequently asked questions. Now, I should say there are about 40 frequently asked questions, 20 which seem to get asked time and time and time again, but uh, we'll go over the first six. So first one, number one is... What is a family office? Now, I've had people saying to me, "Uh, Ray, I've heard this expression about a family office. Uh, What does it mean? Well, in a nutshell, a family office is generally where one or more lawyers or accountants who manage and invest large sums of money effectively for their wealthy clients. Now, why should you be interested in them? Well, I suppose simply because they've got a lot of money to invest and they like to see well-crafted proposals with good returns so they can safely and securely invest their clients' money in any given financial year. Now, that's the crucial part in a given financial year because what tends to happen with family offices is their financial years run sort of April to April and January, February, March is a burst of activity to get some money out before the end of the financial year and then May, June, July, there's a bit of activity as well, but then it dies a death in July and August when everyone seems to go away. But uh, we've got a number of relationships with these family offices. Now, they are very, very tricky to get into, but they specialise in specific sectors, which is including but not limited to online businesses like fintech, food and drink, clean energy and and property. So an example of a, a A family office would be the most well-known Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, It's probably the best-known family office in the world. And Bill Gates fluctuates between him and Jeff Bezos as to who's the richest person in the world. But effectively, his family office have donated, loaned and spent something like $28 so far. Other well-known include uber-wealthy family office patrons like Sir James Dyson, Oprah Winfrey, Hans Rousing, who came up with Tetra Pak, the Duke of Westminster, Sainsbury's and Goldsmiths. Now, there are about a thousand, in fact, there are over 1,200 family offices in the UK managing more than 700 billion in assets. And London is pretty much a premier global hub for many of these. Now, a family office might employ three to 12 core staff. There's like a chief exec, chief investment officers who might be accountants, senior bankers, investment analysts, etc., as well as lawyers and accountants. And some of the major banks and estate agents may also have dedicated teams to look after family offices. Now, there is a family office association and there's a conference. And some of the more successful families share the vision and the purpose of their wealth, for example, Cadbury's and Roundtree, and they plan for growth in their funds over future generations. Now, they'll have set up specific constitutions setting out the rules and regulations for family gatherings, and some of these rules include having new family members who join by marriage. Uh, They'll sign prenup agreements to protect the family capital and so on. Now, I read that family offices don't just prepare the money for the children, but they also prepare the children for the money. 
The Family Office Association has said that the children should be incentivized to generate their own wealth by match funding, giving them a sum from the family assets. And then if the children are not interested in following the family business, they may be incentivized by being encouraged to gain qualifications or join specific professions and so on. So family offices are a large part of the investment fraternity and in the right circumstances, they can provide quite large amounts of investment funds in relatively quick times. Now, the good news is we know a few of these and can make approaches if the profit fits their criteria. Right. I mean, that's really interesting because obviously it's something that the everyday person is not going to really be aware of, aren't these family offices? But the fact, the biggest question everyone's going to have is how do you get to approach them? So the very fact that we know some that's got to be a great point to start, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. No, you can't just walk in off the street. They're not just going to, you're not going to entertain any anybody. In fact, quite often when they answer the phone, they don't even say who they are. They'll just pick up the phone and go, hello. And then if you ask who it is, they're, they're very secretive. You know, the ones I phone up, like, <laughs> who's calling? You know, who are you looking for? You wouldn't know if you phoned them up. Is it right that in order to get into these uh, particular offices, you stand in one of those red phone boxes and they sink into the pavement. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I have having said that, I have gone into one where you go up in a lift and then there's security and all sorts of things and you get out the lift and then you walk up some stairs. The lift doesn't even go into the, the top office, if you like. There's an extra layer of security. Was that just for you, though? <laughs> yeah, just for me. They knew I was coming. <laughs> so here but he there comes you go. again. Family offices, obviously a source of some significant wealth there. And they're always looking for the good deal. But one of the other questions that people always ask is, what's the minimum and maximum amount of money an angel will invest? Well, we're looking at some of the information that's come in over the last seven years here in the experience that we've had. And there certainly seems to be a bit of a sweet spot around about the £200,000 mark. But of course, there's no limits really up to the maximum. You know, there will be some who won't even begin to talk until it's getting into the 5, 10, 50 million plus brackets. But one of the things that you need to be able to do is you need to think to yourself, okay, what are you offering in exchange for whatever sum of money it is? And if you think about it, Ray, you know, the amount of work needed to set up a loan or have any sort of investment whenever you're trying to raise money, it's pretty much the same amount regardless of the actual sum raised, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's still, yeah, there's still the legals, there's still other people to be involved and then they've obviously got to get their fees and so on. So sometimes it's done on a percentage, sometimes it's done on a flat rate, those fees, but generally there's kind of a, a minimum where it's not really worth your while with all the fees. And that's because needed. the professional fees involved just become too high a percentage of the overall borrowing, really, don't Exactly, they? exactly. Now, we try and make sure, I mean, in any deal, the professional fees of any deal should never exceed more than about 7% of the total amount. But uh, if you're getting a loan of 50 grand or 100 grand, you know, then there, then it might exceed that just in terms of percentage, just by the, the amount of money that's paid out. Yeah, and typically up to 25, 30, 40K, you can normally raise that money probably more easily elsewhere than rather than going to angels or anything like that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't advocate necessarily raising on a credit card unless, of course, you've got the ability to repay it, at which point it could be a good way of, of raising money. But 
always have a look around to see if there's other sources. There will be angels who, you know, deal in, in smaller amounts, but typically as a percentage of the amount borrowed, the fees or the rates may be really quite high. But essentially, you should be able to raise money for any amount that you're after. Yeah, pretty much. Now, on that point, it's a good point you raised there, Nigel, about credit cards. Some retail businesses can get a loan and the loan is repaid through the credit card machine so that the retail business doesn't even see it. So by that, I mean, if you have, I mean, we did it, for example, for one, an Airbnb guy, he got, it was about 60 odd thousand. And instead of saying, okay, you'll repay it at a certain amount per month, it was, there was a percentage taken from the credit card take there you go. so um it was actually paid back pretty quick and even the guy that borrowed it didn't realize he paid it back so quick he couldn't believe it was paid back that quick but everybody won it was a everyone was a winner so there you go interesting all right so the next frequently asked question we get is receivership bankruptcy and ccjs uh, so a common question i'll get is to say i was involved in the past with a company that went into receivership will this count against me or you know, the, the crash of 2007, 8, 9, pulled everything down. We got caught up in that. Our credit records are all shot to bits. Is that going to count against us? Well, the short answer is no. It won't as long as you mention it very early on in the due diligence process. Now, I should stress here there are two sides to angel investing. There's the equity side where investment comes into a business on the back of an idea or a concept proposed by you. It's an individual. And then there's the property deal where the focus is on the property, land or buildings. Now, in each case, if there's a limited company owning the assets or the intellectual property or there's a team of people buying the project, then your past experience can count for a lot, but your past errors count for less. Now, quite often you hear people saying, you know, in America, you've got to go bust two or three times where anyone takes you seriously. Probably true over there. Over here, though, it does tend to have a little bit of a stigma about it. But... If the business is you and it relies on you and only you can make it work, then firstly, that's a dangerous place to be from an investor's point of view. Uh, they will not want to see one person holding all the cards. And so you're less likely to secure investment until you can fix that by bringing in more people or by creating systems and processes that reduce the reliance on any one person. Now, we've seen a scenario where the investor was made aware of the entrepreneur's poor financial history and they invested anyway in the idea. And he put his man in charge of the finances. Because remember, investors are investing in you and your skills, but they're putting the money into a company. So they're not giving the money to you directly. So uh, you can be a director of a company, but if you're bankrupt and you're not able to become a director of a company, you can be a consultant for the company. You can still work. You can still, you know, you're not going to be unable to ply your trade just because you went bankrupt. But yeah, a lot of investors, as long as they know, they're okay. Now, the investor was aware of the entrepreneur's poor financial history and invested anyway. He put his man in charge and that was great for the entrepreneurs. It freed him up from accounting and paying bills, which he didn't want to do anyway, and allowed him to concentrate on the business. Now, the same applies to CCJs. So a CCJ in England and Wales, a county court judgment, it's different in Scotland, but same idea up there. As long as you mentioned you've had them, or have them or have had them, then the issue can be dealt with. Now, we had a situation pretty recently where an offer of investment was made as long as the existing CCJ, which was only about five grand, was cleared off first. So it was an offer of a couple of hundred grand, but the condition was we'll advance the money, but you clear the CCJ first. So they knew about it and they were actually okay with it. 
But with any situation, different circumstances will apply. If there's a poor credit history, an investor or lender might seek a higher interest rate or some other form of security. But the main takeaway point from all of this is that past mistakes can be dealt with or even forgiven. And every investor or lender, especially angel investors who've run their own businesses in the past, will have been on the receiving end of some form of financial threat. Some of these threats turn into court action, which may or may not be valid. In many cases, they might be frivolous. But whatever the case, they have to be dealt with and life goes on. That's very true. Life always does go on. But one of the things there, Ray, your sage advice would always be disclose everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because if it comes to light partway down, this ties into the next point when we return to the Crest model once more. But there's an element of trust in there. And if you've not revealed something, it does undermine that trust. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. next question. And this is always one that uh, people are quite surprised, both in a good way and a bad way, because the question is, how long does it take to get the investment or the funds into my account? And we would always say, hopefully, if you are asking that question, you haven't just bought something very large at auction that has to complete in something like 28 days, because you might be disappointed. Okay, people always think that money comes in pretty quickly because they tend to hear about it at the end when the money is finally in and they think the deal has been done quite quickly. If we look at something, say it was done online, so you can do this online, and we're looking at crowdfunding, uh, these crowdsourcing websites where you can get the money, it often looks like the deal goes live and the funding is secured in two days, and that looks like, wow, that's an amazingly quick way of doing this. However, what you probably won't be aware of, or you may underestimate is how long it has taken to put that deal together. So that could have taken two, three, four months to get that deal approved and onto the website before it's put out there to the public. Obviously, there's lots of information that needs doing, double checking, due diligence. It may need approval by lawyers. It may need to be screened for compliance, whether that's FCA or whoever the governing body might be. But once it's all there, then the formal placing can begin. But again, this could take quite a while to get going. So typically when you see something on the crowdfunding websites and it says, you know, financed in two days, you might be thinking, fantastic, I can get my money within a week, easy. Be careful, word of caution, maybe not. Other things, if you are trying to raise money from Someone so as we come back to the Crest model, remember the Crest model, credibility, the return, the exits, the security and the trust. If you're wanting money to be raised quicker and quicker and quicker, then that would help is in ways if you are known to the person. So if you are known to the angel, to whoever's going to be investing, whoever's going to lend you the money, if that has been built up over time, so your credibility, maybe previous deals, also, the, what you're offering as a return is accepted and known about. The exits, similar exits to previous deals. There's good security, so the property, whatever it might be, gives great security. And that trust has been pre-built and it already exists. Then obviously, that's going to be quicker than if you are there for the first time. So, Ray, what would you say uh, to people 
realistically then overall, would you always say budget for more time? Yeah, budget for more time because, I mean, anything go wrong. I mean, it can be agreed with a lender pretty quick and they want to get the money into your account and you want the money into the account, but they've got a lawyer on their side who's going, hey, hang on a minute. We need to find out, especially with money laundering, we need to find the source of funds and all this. And then your lawyer might be saying, well, I need to be doing to check on the bona fide of where the money is coming from. And then we had one occasion where all that was done, it was all dealt with, and the money had to be transferred by noon on the Thursday or whatever it was. Some of it was transferred the day before, and then the bank sent it back. The bank said, uh, <laughs> this could be money laundering. We, we don't know where it's coming from. And, and and the bank sent it back and the angel investor was raging because he's like, I've been with this bank for 20 years and, you know, sent my money back. It was an affrontery to him. And then when the money was sent, there was a limit on the amount that could be sent from that account. So oh, yeah. half I've, was sent and then that. the other half had to be sent the next day. So there's an old expression, many's a slip between cup and lip. It can all be done and dusted, but, oh, God, there's, we've seen it all, I tell you. And obviously... What we're talking about here is, okay, the proposal's been vetted, everyone's happy with it, this is going ahead, but what would you say the number of times uh, an investor may withdraw or pull out of the deal? Or if you've got more than one or two people investing, maybe just one of those people back out? It's more common than you might think because when an investor effectively purifies the money. So let's say you've got three three individuals and they're each putting up 100,000 and they think, right, okay, we've got 100 grand, it's got to go out this week, that's great. If there's delays and it drags on and drags on, quite often one of them can turn around and say, well, look, I've had another offer or something's come up or I've had an unexpected tax bill or whatever and I'm unable to proceed. So now you've got two with the money ready to go and a third that's had to drop out for some reason. Now we can reasonably quickly replace that person but it does happen in the last few deals touch wood I'm looking around for wood to touch here but there doesn't seem to be any but in the last few deals they've all gone relatively smoothly in that direction but I do have a lot of people who've arranged JV uh, deals with someone they found themselves and they've come to me because at the last minute they've been let down so we had one just recently there. It was 170000 he needed. His bank had agreed to give him the money, actually. And then they got a revaluation, and he was 170000 short on what was a million-pound deal. And the bank virtually gave him no time. I think it was on the Wednesday, and he had to complete on the Friday. So I did manage to find him someone to talk to. He went and met them in London, and they got on like a house on fire, and they agreed to do it. And it was done in time. That's the other thing. So yeah, can happen. So how long does it take to get the money into the account? Well, varying amounts. We've had some that have been done in days, but you really need to give it, ideally, minimum of four weeks when you need the money. Minimum of four weeks. But we've seen it take anything from a few weeks to several months and everything in between. And uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So if it's getting cutting it fine like that, you end up having to make special journeys, special meetings try and build up your credibility and trust with anyone who's going to step in at the last minute because obviously they're going to want to satisfy themselves at short notice that this deal still works. So it can be done. Just don't plan on things happening uh, necessarily smoothly all the time. (laughs) That's the truth. Okay, Uh, another frequently asked question is, what is the cost of cash? That's a very common question. We get asked a lot. 
uh, the answer is always it depends. Well, what it, it depends. What it, it always depends. It always depends. Every time, if you speak to a lawyer about anything, they'll always say, oh, it depends. But it does depend. So what does it depend on? Well, there's five points uh, that I've got listed here of what it depends on. So number one, how quickly you need it. Number two, how much is needed. Number three, what's it for? Number four, what security are you offering? And number five, how long do you need it for? So the cost of cash depends on those those things. But the one thing I would say, though, is uh, fast money is usually expensive money. If it's Monday and you need cash by Friday, it won't be cheap. Desperate money is desperate for a reason. And to an investor, unless the reason is valid and your request stacks up, they're probably going to charge a high interest rate as well as, or could be, an in and an out fee. Now, there are lenders, so not angel investors, but actual companies that loan, bridging companies. And if it's bridging, you need... So bridging, for those of you who want to know what that is, a bridge is, is essentially to fill in a gap. So if you're buying a property in April, but the one you've got is not going to sell until October, then you need to bridge for that period of time between April and October. That's called a closed bridge. In other words, you've got a sale happening in October. It's a closed bridge. You're definitely getting the money back from that sale. And the lawyer will mandate that to go back to the lender. Now, if it's an open bridge, in other words, you've got a property to sell, but you don't have a buyer yet, that's open bridging. Now, that could be anything from 2 to 3% per month, plus a fee to get the cash, which could be 3 or 4% of the amount borrowed. And then there might even be an exit fee of 2%, something like that. So you've got to watch out for all of those things. Now, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't charge those, those kind of fees, but a lot of people do. And just to be clear, this is not the fees that a broker or an introducer would charge. This is the fees that the lender might require. So the lender might require those fees. Now, the fees depend to a certain extent on the amount required. So the 2% would be based on, say, 500,000. But if the amount required was 5 or 10 million, then it could be an agreed amount rather than a percentage. Okay, so... What's it for? That's the next thing. Are you starting a business? Are you buying products? Are you buying a building? So what you need the money for can have a bearing on the cost. Because if you're starting a business, that's completely different. If you're buying products, sometimes you can do invoice financing. If you're buying a building, then clearly there's security. There's a there's bricks and mortar there. There's a big, you know, a big building. So that, that makes it easy. Um, security. So the more security you have, the cheaper the money. So if you're buying a building below market value, BMV, and you're adding value by turning it into something that cash flows very well, for example, a commercial conversion building converted into serviced apartments, then that would be cheaper than buying perishable goods or Amazon stock, simply because a building offers greater security than and stock doesn't really. So uh, how long? So if your requirement is short term with poor security, then the fees and the interest would make up a large portion of the cost. Very rough calculations here. Please understand the actual fees will be different depending on the deal and whether the money is drawn down in one tranche or not. But for example, 2% in a 2% per month on 500 grand for 12 months would be £10,000 arrangement fee, 120 in interest and 10,000 exit fee. So that's a total of 140,000 or a massive 28% a year. Over three years, it might work out like this. A 2% arrangement fee, 10,000. 8% interest, that's 40 grand a year times 3, and 10% exit fee. So that's 140 or 9.4% over three years. So that's mm. 
the cost. So what is the cost of cash? It depends. It can be anything from market rates, which at the moment can be really cheap. There are mortgages and things going around at 1.4, 1 1.5, 1.9%. And there are loans at 6, 7 and 8% as we speak right now, which is in the middle of 2018. And there's bridging, which could be 2% a month. So it depends. Depends what you need it for. It does. And obviously the key thing, we're not talking payday loans here. I saw one the other day and the advertised interest rate was 25,000% per annum. Woohoo! That's, uh, yeah, that's Back a whole different net. type of bridging. <laughs> that's just, oh, that is unbelievable. I don't, I couldn't countenance anything like that. Is there not a term for that? It's called usury, isn't it? Uh, Usually, yeah. Yeah, that, it's called it's, outrageous, I think. It's, it's, it's called yeah. outrageous, yeah, but that's Ill it should be illegal, that kind of... But anyway, and, and you'll find it's usually the poorest people that are paying those rates. Crazy. Yeah, it is, and that's the biggest difference. When you were talking about security, the lender is saying, well, unfortunately, you know, we feel that there isn't much security here, so we're going to protect ourselves. But I still think it's pretty outrageous. However, let's move on. Another question, can I get, and this is, I hear this an awful lot, can I get 100% finance for my property proposal? Well, the short answer is yes, you can, but you need to go about it in the right way. And sometimes there might be, and we'll probably talk about this on another occasion, where it's a two-stage, which is one is to buy the property and the second stage would be to do some sort of development. And I know that... Um, the initial stage to purchase the property, the 100% is harder, but for development finance, then they might lend 100% on the development aspects far more easily. But let's go back to thinking about, okay, how do you do this? Well, the way to do that is to follow a system that works. Like anything in life, there's a right way and a wrong way to ask for anything, to present anything and to just look at anything. So if you're using other people's money, then they can use other people's time. So if you're wanting that, let's get it structured correctly. So structuring the deal correctly could allow you to use 100% of someone else's money. So as long as they can get typically the security for the property or if it's a business for the business. So how you do that is, well, it's two stages. There's a scientific as well as an artistic element to it. And I know you love these sort of things, Ray. There are many investors looking for a suitable home for their money. So I always think, you know, there's people out there, what are they getting in the banks? Not a lot in the UK at the moment. So maybe 1% or so, or you might get a slightly higher rate, but you have to leave it in the bank or the investment for several years sometimes before you can touch it. So with inflation running at the moment, well in excess of those banks' interest rates, you've got to think to yourself, well, actually, the value of my money being held in a bank is actually going down. So people are looking to invest. And one of the best things you can do is to invest properly through FCA-regulated businesses. Uh, it's a good way to build up a cash balance from savings um, and at rates much better than any bank can provide. But Yeah, can I just mention that on that point, actually, Nigel? Yeah. There's there's a lot of websites around peer-to-peer -peer lending, as it's called, where you can invest from a you know a thousand pounds, you can get ten percent return on your money. If you want to invest in property and get a first charge, um, there's a great website called the House Crowd, thehousecrowd.co.uk, where you can become an investor, sign up with them, 
and you can put your money in there if you're an investor and you can get eight, nine, ten percent and security for you know nine months, twelve months. And the advantage to the person borrowing the money is they can get hundred percent of the money and they can get it relatively quickly. So yeah, so it's and that's better for anyone than leaving it in a bank account. I wouldn't say to anyone leave leave your money in a bank account. Now we did, or I did, I recorded a whole podcast on can you get 100% funding? So we'll go into this in much, much greater detail, but it is one of the frequently asked questions. It is. And one of the things one of the things that I remember you mentioning before when we talk about this, always think to yourself, um, if you ask for money, you'll get advice. So if you ask for advice, you might get the money. <laughs> yes. So It's so you know, true. I, I love that. I so love true. that. But yeah, when you're looking there and... Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but if you make an investment like you just mentioned, Ray, where you invest in something like that, are you then potentially classed as a sophisticated investor at that point? Well, again, uh, it's a frequently asked question that will come up in a later podcast. What is a high net worth individual? What is a sophisticated investor? Uh, there is a whole article of, about that on the blogspot, raisingangelfinance.blogspot.co.uk. There's a whole answer in there. Perfect. Yeah, no, that, that's for a whole other time. So that's six frequently asked questions we've covered. Ray, it's been great to be chatting with you again. I really do enjoy your solo podcasts. Love doing some myself, but it's always good to have you here because um, it's definitely your turn to make the tea. And on that bombshell, I'll get the kettle on. All right, my name's Nigel Best. And I've been Ray McLennan. You've been listening to How to Raise Money podcast. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. You can find all that at howtoraisemoney.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Ray underscore McLennan and Nigel Best at Positive Nigel. You can check the blog at raisingangelfinance.blogspot.co.uk. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours? <laughs>